Welcome once again to the ceremony. Briefly, this is my testimony. I see genius in everybody. To perceive it in yourself is the difficulty. This is the first edition of the Chill Out Tent podcast, a place to find ideas and inspiration. This time, we hear Dave Howell from Music for Beaches Radio in Sydney talk to Chris Coco, one of the founders of the tent, about what it is and where it's at. Gavin Pretapini tells us about his Cloud Appreciation Society and how staring at clouds can help you feel great. And Chris Bailey from Vinyl talks to musician Maxi Jazz about the awesome and uplifting power of music. I'm just wondering, yeah, what can you tell us about the Chill Out Tent? What are you going to do with it? Where's it going? What's next? What's happening? It's basically it's a project that's come out of lockdown. So it's a tiny, nice spark in all the sadness. I watched the first stream that Defected did. So it was all, you know, like big room house stuff, obviously. While I was watching, I thought, wouldn't it be nice if they had a back room, if they had a second venue that you could go to? And then if they did, what would it, what would it be like? Um, and it was like, okay, it would be a chill out tent. And then it was like, okay, why don't we do that then? Because try and make something that um, actually brings together all the Balearic community around the world in, in one place, in this big tent, as it were. So that's how it started. And then we've done various experiments trying to work out what it actually is. Um, we're now, at the moment, we're doing one stream a month like a live stream on the last sunday of each month and we've got this mixture of conversations or interviews dj sets art films what's really nice about it it's turned into a kind of guerrilla magazine if you like that just appears does some stuff and then it's gone but it's almost like a kind of magazine so it's become sort of alternative television in a way which I think at the moment is something that's really needed because it's kind of, it's a bit, it's a few hours of escape from a kind of quite scary world and very scary media. From a a personal point of view and from a political point of view, the most important thing to do at the moment is to actually not get drowned in in negativity and crazy, all the crazy stories about all the nutcases running our countries. And it's a way of collaborating with, nice people around the world and discovering for us to discover new things as much as anything else because there's so much good stuff going on so much interest in music and so much creative activity um, that doesn't always have an outlet so here's an outlet what were the skies like when you were young they went on forever. When I, we lived in Arizona, and the skies always had little fluffy clouds in them, and uh, they were long and clear. My name's Gavin Pretapini, and I'm founder of the Cloud Appreciation Society. It's basically something that brings together people from around the world who share a belief. Uh, a belief that the sky is the most dynamic and evocative and maybe poetic part of nature. 
Clouds bring variety, drama, beauty to our skies. They mean that each day when we look up, it's a new page to read. And if suddenly clouds were gone, if suddenly there were no clouds, at first it would be a novelty and we'd be going, yay, this is amazing, look, sunshine in the whole time. And then pretty soon you'd feel something was missing. Pretty soon you'd go, oh, wait a minute, you know, it's got a bit monotonous. Day after day, it's exactly the same. And I think it's written into our DNA, the weather, this changeable weather. So I think it's easy to complain about something that's always there. The sky, the clouds are always present. It's easy to take them for granted. You know, the society exists to try and change people's view. For me, cloud spotting serves a real purpose, which is it's a way to disengage with stuff I'm sort of thinking about the whole time down on the ground here, you know. And I think this is really why I've been drawn to the sky throughout my life. I think it is because it serves a useful purpose for me. One that I know is ever present. It's a part of nature that's always there. Works well in lockdown because you don't have to go somewhere to see the sky. You know, you can be even inside your home and, and, and see the sky through the window, especially if you're in a tower block in an urban environment. It's the last wilderness with an easy reach um, for many in urban places. It, they were beautiful, the most beautiful skies, as a matter of fact. It's this ever-present resource that you can just tune into. You can choose for a moment, right, I'm just going to disengage because there's a beautiful sky there right now. So I'm going to choose to just take a moment. I'm going to stop all the urgent stuff I'm doing. And there's always something you've got to be doing, isn't there? There's always like stuff, oh, I should be doing something more important. But sometimes it's good to remember, you know, that something that's aimless, um, like cloud spotting, like gazing up at the sky, it can be aimless and that doesn't mean it's pointless. In fact, it can be aimless and have a deep and profound value. And that value is one of lifting your perspective away from your day-to-day -day concerns, shifting your view so that your brain is invited to go into different gear, go into a different mode. It's like the daydreaming mode that is easily accessed when you're a kid, but becomes more and more a distant and ungraspable when you're an adult. The sky and the clouds, the ever-shifting abstract art above us provided by nature is an invitation to re-engage with that daydreaming mode. I think that um, clouds are brilliant sort of stimuli for poets and artists. And that's because of this magical quality that they have of appearing and disappearing. It makes them feel a bit like emotions or ideas. You know, a cloud forming in the sky is like an idea forming in an absent mind. So for this reason, they've always kind of felt like good metaphors for feeling and emotion. Right back to Aristophanes, the ancient Greek playwright. He described the clouds as patron goddesses of idle fellows. You know, the ancient Greeks, they quite liked finding shapes in the clouds. Good, you know, they sort of found it enjoyable. And we get our terms like cloud cuckoo land from um, the plays of Aristophanes. And 
you know, you look at a poet like Shelley. Shelley did a poem called The Cloud, and it's all about how clouds are in constant change. I am the daughter of earth and water, the changeling of the sky. The stanzas in that poem talk about how clouds live and die. Uh, they're constantly appearing and disappearing, changing. They never really can die. They seem to die and then they just rise once again. And that really is the sort of, I guess, the essence of it and why clouds have have this magical and poetic kind of feel for us because of this appearance and disappearance. And it's interesting that it's one simple, simple bit of science behind that. The simple bit of science is that water is unique on our planet. It is the only substance on Earth in the natural conditions of Earth that's found in solid, liquid and gas states. Water just changes so easily between them. And in the, in the sky, we see water in droplet form. That's like the fluffy white cloud you see on a sunny day. It's called a cumulus. We see water in ice crystal form. Those are the high wispy clouds that are called cirrus and um, that are named after the lock, a lock of hair. We can't see water in gas form, it's transparent, but it's in it's one of the gases of the air around us and every breath you breathe out has the gas form of water in it. And because water can change just so easily with the slightest difference in temperatures between these states, that means it is in a constant dance between visibility and invisibility. This simple, unique quality of water on Earth is the root of all the inspiration that poets and painters and young children get from the magic of clouds appearing and disappearing. The mode of, of listening to music is, is similar. It's the oral version, isn't it, of gazing at the sky. And particularly if you listening to more kind of ambient styles of music where it's not so much structured around a beginning, a middle and an end. And the reason I say that is because the narrative of the sky is one with no beginning and no end. This is why it's an invitation for our brains to go into that daydream mode, that idle mode of the brain. And I think that certainly listening to some styles of music gets your brain into that same mode. And it is such an important part of brain activity, one that is being edged out in the kind of digital age, the device culture that is so consuming now for us all because when you have a device in your hand any little gap in your day can be filled as we well know to like go through your emails update your feed or whatever it is in the past when i was a kid i lived in london used to sit there wait for a bus you haven't got anything else to do you haven't got anything to do but just sit there and sort of stare at people walking by look across the street and you kind of your brain's just whirring away in, in a sense, but you're not concentrating on something like you are reading, you know, reading your emails. That is your brain going into an idle mode 
you know, because you've got like a bit of a boring gap with nothing to do. We don't have any of those in our day now. And as a result, that sort of mode of the brain has been edged out. And that's a bad thing because when you look at the scan of like an fMRI scan of someone's brain when they are just staring at the wall, doing nothing, just like their brain is doodling along in idle mode, thinking about whatever and nothing very much. The brain activity then, compared to the brain activity when they're concentrating on a task, they're trying to work out some like maths or whatever it is, the same amount of energy is being consumed in both those situations. In one case, it's being used for something kind of very conscious to get through this task and work it out. In the other, people aren't really sure, but it's doing stuff. It's rearranging things. The brain is consuming energy, lots of activity. And this is assumed, this idle mode of the brain, it's assumed to be the brain rearranging things. And that is what's happening when you're in a daydream mode. That is when ideas get moved about, when connections might emerge that weren't necessarily obvious when you're sort of thinking more in a linear way. And then you realize that that's really valuable for creative thought. That idle mode, that letting your brain just doodle along in your kind of daydream state is good for your, well, I think it's good for your health, but it's also good for your creativity. And, you know, at the Cloud Appreciation Society, when it comes to looking at the sky, we argue as well, it's good for your soul. It, they were beautiful, the most beautiful skies, as a matter of fact. Uh, the sunsets were purple and red and yellow and on fire and the clouds would catch the colors everywhere. That's it, neat because I used to look at them all the time when I was little. You don't see that. What's special about a sunset is partly it's the colors. Um, you know, when the sun's low on the horizon, its light has reached you at this low glancing angle through the atmosphere. That means it's traveled a long way because it's come sideways, traveled a long way, and it's traveled a long way through the dense lower atmosphere. This has the effect of scattering away all the bluer end of the spectrum of light that we can see, leaving behind the warm, rosy, golden, amber hues that we associate with sunsets and sunrises. So you'll still get that to some degree, but only when you have a canvas onto which those colors can be painted, does the sky really light up. When you've got a cloudless sky and the sun's setting, you'll have a kind of consistent spectrum of colors to some degree across the sky for quite some time. When you've got a cloudscape onto which that light is shining, the whole experience is briefer because there's a moment most of the time when the sun's above the clouds. And then when it gets down onto the horizon, there's a moment when it can shine up onto the underside of the clouds. That only happens at sunrise and sunset when the sun's on the horizon and the, the sky off where the sun is, is is clear enough for it to be allowed to shine up uninterrupted to the clouds above you. 
But when that's the case, this lighting effect is brief. This is a moment when the clouds are only going to be like that. The particular arrangement that you're looking at once. I mean, that is what's always so special about this abstract, chaotic nature of the sky. The beauty of the chaos of the sky means that it's only like that once. And then laid on top of that, you have the fact that it is only lit from beneath like that for just a few moments in the day. And all those things combine to really emphasize something that is the case for all sky scenes. When you take a moment to notice something in the sky, you know it's going to be like that only once. You know that you could run around and get your camera and try and pick a picture of it or try and get your phone out and start messing around and make, or you could go, by the time I've done that, it's probably kind of changed and it won't really be looking the same anyway. Maybe I shouldn't even bother with that. Maybe I should just sit here with you playing the music on the beach in Ibiza, you're sitting there, uh, you should actually think, you know, don't try and take a picture of this. Don't try and kind of capture it and pull it out of the ocean like a fish that you've landed. Just watch it, observe it be in the moment, see it as an invitation and a reminder that everything that's valuable in life is fleeting. The things that have most value are the things you can't possess. And the sky is a reminder to us to be in the present, be there for the moment, soak up that beautiful chaos of the sky. Hi, hope you're enjoying this Chill Out Tent podcast. Chris here from Vinyl. We sit down and play records with as many people as possible. And one afternoon this summer, uh, well, last summer, we sat down with a legend that was Maxi Jazz from Faithless. And here are some of just the highlights of that chat. I'm not going to really introduce anything else. It sort of speaks for itself. I hope you enjoy. The crate digging that I used to do that was really... Um what's the word, fulfilling, was, as a sound, there was five of us, and we kept all of the records and equipment around at John's house in uh, Loughborough, in Loughborough Junction. John's flat, I should say. And uh, so there's masses, piles and piles of records on the floor. And you know those mornings you wake up and you don't feel so good, and you go halfway through the morning and you can't shake it off? I would say, right, and I would get myself together, put a blank TDK D90 in my back pocket, walk the 15 minutes around to John's house. We all had keys, so I'd let myself in. John, you're right, yeah, yeah, Maxi, cool. And then walk into the uh, sound system room, the front room, and just start going through the records and think, oh, yeah, you know, that one for you. That's got to go on there. And you're looking basically for tracks to play, to put on your tape, that you can put it on your Walkman and feel absolutely brilliant walking home. And that was the thing. And by the time you'd got to the third record that you decided you were going to play, you're already in a good mood. The blues is long gone. And then you'd get all of your tracks together, make a little mixtape, 45 minutes. Say, nice one, John Layer. You say, all right, boss. And then walk back with your, your music playing and thinking, life is brilliant. 
You know, so that's what I, my, a lot of my crate digging was just to cheer myself up. And it works. Oh, yeah. Like, Every time, without fail. Is there anything else that is almost guaranteed well, I, to, I heard, to, to I, lift that? No, I heard that in terms of, 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 of the neurons in the brain, that nothing else a human being can do can take you where music takes you. There is nothing else you can do that takes you where music takes you. And I thought, that makes sense, you know. I used to have this Midnight to Three show on LWR. And LWR was a dirty word in a lot of pirate radio, but I didn't know. I was just doing my thing. Anyway, we used to, or they used to, um, hire somebody's back bedroom in in flats overlooking, well, in... In Peckham, well, not Peckham, Lordship Lane, up there is quite high. Mm. And so they would hire somebody's back bedroom. Now, I had a midnight to three show, meaning that when I got there, the whole family's asleep. So you can't be blasting your music through the speakers and enjoying yourself like that. Everything had to be done on headphones. And plus, you had to be quite quiet on the mic. You couldn't be yelling and screaming, which I didn't never thought was a good idea for radio anyway. That's what you do on a sound yeah. when you're partying. Yeah. But uh, on a Saturday night, but radio, I like that conversational tone that um, that, that Peely had. Um, so what would happen? I would turn up, and uh, the other DJ would sign off, and I'd sit down in the chair. I got my two decks there, my mixer, my records down here, two cans of Guinness, my weed, <laughs> and a bunch of jingles, cassette tape jingles that I had to. We had to play like every 15 minutes, half an hour or so. But I learned quickly that Zach, who ran the station, he never listened to my show for more than 45 minutes. So the first half an hour, I play the jingles. Did the rules. Yeah, yeah, I do all the stuff. Then not again until three. Just pure music. And um, those were amazing days. And what I used to do, Given that everything was kind of in my head like this, I used to imagine this tall, leggy girl wearing just a T-shirt with her back to me, doing the ironing. And over here was a big pile of clothes, and over here was a radio with my voice coming out of it. And I would try all night to make her ass move. <laughs> and that was it. I was in my own little fantasy world playing tunes that I hoped she liked, you know what I mean? Um, those are some of the most pleasurable times I've ever had musically, yeah. was doing those, those radio shows, because you were left alone to do pretty much what you liked. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it meant that you'd go again through your records, and go, oh, that's going to play Wednesday night for sure. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it was. It, uh, it kind of gives you a little bit more freedom as well than a DJ set. I mean, within DJ sets, you can move things around, but you're kind of there DJ to make sets, people dance. Whereas listen, on the radio, you can. Yeah. A DJ set, not to sound cynical, but you could take the same 30 records out every time you go out, and people would be lauding you as the god of all DJs. Because what are you doing? You're taking out those records that you know everybody loves and you play them one after the other. And people go, wow, he's brilliant. Now, this is gonna sound rough, but I believe it to be true. I think that a lot of people who go out, they're not really into music. They're not. Because 
if and when the DJ puts on a brand new tune that nobody's heard before, the very few people who are into music go, Oi, Dave, do you know this tune? He'll go, No. Mark, you know this tune? He'll go, No. Right, go and ask the DJ what it is then. Everybody else will be going, Oh, don't know this one. Do you want a drink? And Scarpa. Six weeks later, when they've been hearing it on the radio every day, they'll be asking the DJ for it. So this is what I mean. It's like if new music turns up and it's great, your first thing is, wow, what's that? Whereas uh, the majority of people will be like, oh, don't know this one. Let's go and have a chat by the bar. Um, so that's one of the reasons why musicians, I think, have to pay their dues. It means you have to be out there struggling long enough for people to... Get a, whiff, get a whiff of you, get a wind of, of who you are and what your music is, and then you start making, start making a living at it because you have to convince people who aren't really into music that your music that necessarily sounds different from his and his and his and hers because it's yours, you know, you have to spend time getting people into that and it's not easy. <laughs> I took the dog for a walk radio. Went for a bath, radio. Everywhere I went, I took the radio with me because I didn't want to miss anything classic or beautiful. In fact, one day I had the said Dan Setti under my arm. Big old area, remember them? And I was walking the dog and the dog was all 50 yards up doing her doggy thing, Sheba, bless her. Yeah. And um, the DJ says, can't remember who it was. He says, okay, um, now uh, we're uh, going to run the news. And straight after the news, we're going to play Jimi Hendrix's new single. Well, now, Hey Joe killed me. I was like, wait a minute, you can't write songs about killing your wife. It was just like, that was the most powerful record I'd heard ever at that time. And so I listened to the news, dogs running, I'm walking down the road, and suddenly, uh, uh, uh. And I'm staring at my radio like, what's this? And next thing you know, I'm sat down on somebody's front wall, just staring at the radio, my head moving, and I, I'm, my brain just scrambled. I'm thinking, what on earth am I listening to? It was just the most powerful. And next thing you know, here's the dog looking up at me like, Max, you're right. Yeah. I and you was, were like, no, I'm in heaven. I was transfixed. I was transfixed by it. I just thought, Wow, what the hell? That people can make stuff like this. It just was so inspiring. And you just think one of these days, one of these fine days, one of my tunes is going to be coming out of the radio and hopefully somebody's going to go, hold on a minute, what's this? <laughs> you know? Um, and how do you feel about that now? Because 25 years on from the biggest dance record ever with insomnia and a load of the things you did how do, I feel? How I feel, do you feel now when that comes out the radio then ah uh, well i feel grateful i feel grateful for the upbringing i had i feel grateful for my age in a way because i was young enough back then to catch all of that music all of that early stuff that led to a lot of um what's current now i mean um house music and dance music. I was into uh, disco and 80s funk bands 
club funk bands like Clear and Cameo and yeah. oh man that stuff was just awesome so I know I always used to rib Sister Bliss about you know while you were listening to Bloody Duran Duran <laughs> I was listening to this <laughs> you know that's one of the reasons I think that we lasted so long it's because I was very clear on just there was at least a section of the crowd that this meant the world too and so therefore, why not keep doing it? You, you've got a platform, you can use your voice, you can tell them stuff. I had one lyric that was really heartfelt, not that they all weren't, they all were, but there was one lyric, I think it was on Tweak, and it was, welcome once again to the ceremony, briefly, this is my testimony. I see genius in everybody, to perceive it in yourself is the difficulty. And you'd have people looking at you, right? Because their hearts are open. They're willing to take anything you give them. And here you are telling them, you're brilliant. You're brilliant. The only difference between me and you is like 10 foot of space or 20 yards or whatever it is. And they take that in a lot of the times, I think. Oh, and you just hope that some of them would take that home, think about it and maybe use it because that's how it worked for me. I had people telling me, encouraging me when I was coming up. And basically, that's all you need. You need encouragement. You need it every day, though, mostly. But there you are. That was the first edition of the Chill Out Tent podcast. We'll be back soon with more ideas and inspiration. Mm-hmm.